A couple of introductory remarks before we begin this morning. As um, some of you may know, about two and a half weeks ago, I had knee replacement. And um, I need to report the good news and the bad news. The good news is that my knee can now do things that probably hasn't been able to do for years. I could not do a knee bend. And I can do that. And uh, I now have a functioning joint. Um, it couldn't get past probably about there before. Um, however, I did not realize that just because you have a functioning joint doesn't let the rest of the body know that it, uh, you're okay yet. And so um, I haven't been this much on my feet um, in the last two and a half weeks. So I have this little stool here that we're going to use a couple times. So, um, and I told Stan if I go flop over, I've got the notes right here and he can finish. Bring, bring, bring it home. You know, Sully, bring it into the Hudson, okay? And... Um, we can, get, we can get through this, so I wanted to let you know what was uh, happening up here. I also wanted to explain that the um, Exploring God series for all the churches in the area, actually this is the last week, except that we've really been ahead of week. So we didn't have a formal topic this morning. So Nate called me, um, I think this last week, he said, now Gene, would your topic fill it, fit into Exploring God? And I said, well, I think so. I, I think that what we're going to talk about this morning would not be possible if there wasn't a God. And so I think this would justify that we can be exploring God as we study this topic this morning. And um, then finally, I want to tell you something else that happened in preparing for this message that's never happened before. I, I usually try to go to the lectionary. Um, lectionary is a series of readings for each week through the year, over three years, that gets you through the entire Bible. And a lot of times if I'm asked to preach and there's not a topic that uh, I'm asked to preach on, I'll go to the lectionary to kind of make sure I'm just not going to my favorite verse or my favorite topic. And this um, time I looked at the lectionary scriptures and realized that I really wanted to talk about the gospel that you just heard read, that Gene read for us. But then I realized that what set that gospel up and what makes that gospel possible was our Psalms reading that we read for the call to worship. And then I realized that the best example that I know of in Scripture of this truth that we're going to learn this morning is the Old Testament reading that we'll close with this morning. So I've never been able to put even two of the lectionary readings together, let alone three. And um, so I'm excited to share what God has given us to study here this morning. Let's, let's open in prayer. Father, I just pray that you will... Open our hearts by your Holy Spirit to hear what you want us to hear. I realize that the message this morning can be different for each person here. Lord, help the words that we speak and the words that you drive home to our hearts might be meaningful for us in our own situations. For this is the miracle of your Holy Spirit. This is the miracle of the power of your scripture. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I told you we can build the message this morning on the psalm reading that we had for our call to worship. It was Psalms 103, 1 through 8. And it closed with these words. The Lord is merciful and gracious, amazing grace, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. What is steadfast love? What is this understanding in the Old Testament of God's steadfast and gracious love? Well, it's expounded on in the New Testament. And um, I know some of you are um, going to help me with this because uh, you're biblical scholars. 
And you notice that the New Testament in the Greek has four words for love, um, unlike the English or even the Hebrew. And it talks about four different kinds of love. And one is the steadfast love. What's the word for steadfast love used in the New Testament? What is it? Agape. Agape. Agape is an active feeling of benevolence toward another person, regardless of their relationship to you. Agape is a benevolent feeling and gracious um, desire for another person, regardless of their relationship to you. Because the other three loves all depend on a relationship. Help me with those. What's another kind of love? What is it? Philos. Say it. Philos? Philos. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Philadelphia. Philos. 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 Um, brotherly love. Okay? Philadelphia. It's a love for your brother. Um, that's one kind of love, but it's based on this person being your friend. Okay, it's, it's a love for a friend. What's another one? Eros. Eros. Erotic, um, romantic. It's a love for this person because they're your lover. And the, there's really another obscure one that we don't hear much about. It's, it's storge. It's a parental love. It's a love you have for your child. It's a love you have for your family. And all those other loves re, really require a relationship. It's either your friend or your lover or your family member. But agape extends to someone that you may have no relationship with. In fact, you may even have a hostile relationship with. And it's, allow, it's that love that will allow you to love that person. Now, I thought I'd try to um, spice this sermon up with a visual at this point. I thought, I'm going to show you what agape love looks like. Some dramatic scene from some great movie or something. But there may be one somewhere, but I couldn't come up with it. <laughs> you know, I just finished reading um, Flags of Our Fathers, the story of Iwo Jima. Anybody read that here? Unbelievable. These young men throwing themselves on a grenade to save their friends. Brotherly love. A love that would, would die for a friend. Or there's so many romantic movies and great classic literature. A Tale of Two Cities. Do you remember the closing scene of A Tale of Two Cities? Because this man loved this woman so much, he mounted the gallows to have his head cut off for her benefit. Because he loved her. Or who doesn't know a story of a parent? Maybe even a parent whose child has turned on them or become hostile, who still reaches out, who still loves that child, who still... And I could think of all sorts of scenes from great literature and movies that could have demonstrated philos and eros and storge. But I only could come up with one on agape. How many of people have seen uh, Easter movie, um, help me out, it was uh, The Passion, The Passion of the Christ. How many people have seen The Passion of the Christ? That was the only one I could come up with. A man who was spit on, whipped, beaten, nailed to a cross because he loved people who didn't love him. He loved people who were his enemy. He loved people when they were alienated from him. That's agape love. And this is the love that Jesus had for you and me. In Romans 5.8, it says, In that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we were anti, God still loved us and still sent his son. That's agape love. 
And we need to understand agape love if we're going to do what Jesus asks us to do in our scriptures this morning. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke 6, if you don't have that already. Luke 6, and we're going to begin in verse 27, and see what God asks us to do through Jesus' words here in the gospel. I'm going to read verse 27 and 28 of Luke 6. But I say to you here, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. You see, apart from agape love, you're not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. But this is what God asks us to do. Now, I want to bring this home a little bit and personalize it. Sometimes these verses have been used in the abstract for pacifism. Love your enemies. That means ISIS or some far-off entity or something like that. And, and really what Jesus is talking about is your personal, people in your life. Bring this home. Who in your life would you consider an enemy? And maybe if you don't identify someone that way, but you might be able to say who has abused you, who has cursed you, who maybe hates you. I had to stop myself and think about that a little bit. I was able to come up with three names from the past few years, several years in fact, of people who either I've experienced that from or that I might have to say that they would fall into that category. I'm going to ask you to think about someone, if you can, that might fall into that category, an enemy, somebody who's abused you or cursed you or has put themselves against you. If you can't, maybe think about this morning when that curse or that abuse comes, how are you going to be ready for it? So either I want you, as we think through this message this morning, of how we can respond to those people in our life that might fall into this category, or how we might respond to these people when they come into our lives. And the scripture gives us some good practical insight here. Because it gives us four do's. If you're writing anything in your minutes, or your minutes, in your notes. <laughs> I've been in a few business meetings. Um, if you're writing in your notes, if you write anything, these are four do's. How do you love your enemy? Well, let's go back and read verse 28 again. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Bless. What does it mean to bless? It means to desire God's favor on someone else. It means to bestow goodness and kindness. When faced with abuse or cursing or an enemy, the first thing we're asked to do is to bless them, to think and want the best for them. I think about this in my own life as not retaliating. You heard in our children's sermon how natural it is to return, you know, retaliate. Oh, yeah, well, I'll tell you to pull back and say, I want the best for this person. How can I bless this person? And maybe to let them know that. Let them to know that either verbally or, or maybe in writing. I've been able to pull back and, and say, no matter all, when the dust settles, to say, I still care about you. And part of that blessing, I think, is to leave the door open. I try to make it a habit to always be the last person to communicate it. 
I never want that to be a day when they said, well, I never came back to you because I thought you wouldn't listen. Or I thought you wouldn't care. Or I thought you wouldn't take me in. I always wanted the last word to be, no matter what we've said or what's been done, I still care about you and I'm still here if that ever is an opportunity. To leave the door open to healing. To bless them with kindness. Bless them with letting them know that you want the best for them. To bless them by saying the door is always open. Next says, pray for them. Pray for them. William Barclay says it's almost impossible to hate someone you're praying for. I found that true in my own life. When I began praying for someone, the Holy Spirit melts your heart. It realizes the grace that you've experienced from God and the grace that you need to share with that other person. The fact that we need to be praying for our enemies. I think of one of the most remarkable examples, and um, some of you will know this because I maybe have mentioned it before because it happened years and years ago here in this very church. I was teaching, this is probably over 20 years ago, teaching a Sunday school class, teaching on forgiveness. And one of our founding members was sitting in a chair right here, two-thirds in the back, shaking her head. Can't do it. Can't forgive. This person has hurt me so bad. And what's more, this person has hurt my family so bad, I cannot forgive this person. Well, the scripture before us that morning gave us the same advice. It says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And that was all that I could say that morning to this woman. I said, well, could you start praying for this person? Could you start praying for this person? It was years later, in a Sunday school class, sitting in the same seat next to a young man, where she raised her hand and said, this is the man I've been praying for for years. And through my prayers for this man, God melted my heart. And through my prayers for this man, God melted his heart. And he is now my brother and friend. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. These practical advice of bless them, pray for them. Verse 29 and 30 gives us the third do. Let me read it for you. Verse 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. The third do is to go the extra mile. To go the extra mile. To extend yourself beyond what is fair. Give them the bigger piece. Pay the difference. Go the extra mile. So they can't be held against you. Um, the one example that jumped out at me, and it's very trivial... Uh, we lived on um, Wheaton Avenue for 27 years and raised four young children who are not so young. A couple of them are here this morning. Um, but they were rambunctious and energetic, and we had a light in the backyard, a, you know, a, a yard light in the backyard. And the neighbors that moved in next door were dinks. Anybody know what that designation means, dinks? Double income, no kids. And when they got home from work, 
And so we tried the best, and, but um, he came over one night and he says, I don't like that, that yard light you have. I can see it. <laughs> okay, this yard light was in, aimed at my backyard. It wasn't aimed at his yard or his house, but he could see it. And so, you know, when his house was dark, he could say, well, look, that light's on over there in their backyard. So I thought about that, and I thought about, I don't know that I specifically thought about the scripture, but um, <laughs> I, did, I did think about it when I was screwing in the aluminum cover that I had bought and bent and made and, and had to find brackets for and then spray paint black so that he could not only not have the light go on to his yard, but he could not see the light. But I think these are the things. Those neighbors, by the way, adopted a child. They changed. We left the door open for them by going the extra mile. And I think there's things in your life where you can think back to times where you had to extend yourself. You had to go the extra mile. So we have bless your enemies. Pray for them. Go the extra mile. And finally... The fourth do is in verse 31. As you wish them, I'm sorry, and as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. The golden rule. The golden rule. Now, by the way, it was very helpful for me as I studied this because I had heard that other religions and other faiths had the golden rule as well. That the, you know, the golden rule was, you know, the Christians had adopted it, but, you know, it was kind of bouncing out there. You know, that's not true. Let me read you the golden rule in the other traditions. This is the golden rule according to Hillel, the Hebrew scholar and teacher from Judaism. Here's the golden rule. What is hateful to thee, do not do to another. If you hate it, don't do it to them. Listen again. This is a Stoic saying. From the Stoic Greek philosophers. What you do not want done to yourself, do not do to any other. And finally, Confucius. Eastern religion. What you do not want, want done to yourself, do not do to others. You notice something about a theme there? What's the best they could come up with? Negative. If they punch you, at least don't punch them back. That's the best they could do. Because you know what? That's probably about the best we can do without God's love. Without the love of God in our heart, maybe that's about the best we can do. Just don't make it any worse. Really, that's all they could say. The great Hebrew tradition, the great Greek philosophers, great Eastern, all they could say is, at least don't make it any worse. What did Jesus say? Do for them what you would want done for yourself. Reach out to them like you'd want somebody to reach out to you. Extend yourself to them like you'd want somebody to extend to you. And you can only do that knowing the love of God reached out to you in that way. This is why this is impossible to keep without the love of God, without the agape love. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, Jesus drives us home in the next couple verses here in 32 through 34. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even the sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even the sinners do the same. 
And if you lend to those with whom you expect to receive credit for you, even sinners, lend to sinners to expect back even more. See, that's the world's golden rule. Do good to those who do good and just ignore those who do bad. And Jesus is saying, that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about agape love that reaches out regardless of relationships, in spite of negative relationships, to love others. And then he says this remarkable saying in verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend them, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And listen to this, and you will be sons of the Most High. Now we have to stop here and think a little bit of what Jesus was saying. You will be sons of the Most High. In Hebrew language, there weren't many adjectives. In other words, a word to describe a noun. There weren't very many adjectives. In fact, they used son of often to be an adjective. If you were a son of compassion, what kind of person were you? Compassionate person. If you were a son of thunder, (laughs) we have some of the disciples described that way. If you were a son of mercy, you were a merciful person. What's he saying here? If you can do this, if you can love like this, you are a son and daughter of God. You are like who? God. You are God-like. You are Christ-like. This is our goal as Christians, to be like Christ, to be like God, in loving others just as he loved us. Well, finally... It's last verse, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Again, an illusion that you can be like our loving Father in showing his love to other people. In melting the heart of that person I told you about from Sunday school class. Now, we have some examples of this, of how this works out. And sometimes we don't know how it works out, and sometimes it doesn't work out. But we do have some examples of how God has used his love through us to other people to make a difference. I shared the example from the Sunday school class. I told you I had three people in mind when I started. One of those people have come back through that door in recent times. One has come back of those three. And I think it's because God was able to change my heart, to bless, to pray, to extend the extra mile, to seek the golden rule. And God used that to bring that person back through that open door. But I think of an example from Scripture that's probably even more dramatic than anything we're talking about. And that's the story of Joseph. That was our Old Testament reading for this morning. The story of Joseph. Did he have any enemies? Did he have anybody that abused him? That cursed him? How about your own brothers? How about your own brothers that would rather have you dead and threw you into a pit? And you were rescued because they decided they could make some money off you selling you as a slave. And in that time of history, it might be debatable whether it's better to be killed or better to be a slave. But I believe Joseph knew the love of Jesus. I think he knew the love of God. He knew his God hadn't abandoned him, even though he had every reason to believe so. And he goes to Egypt and he serves his God with love and obedience. So much so, what's his reward in Egypt? He's thrown into jail for not giving in to Potiphar's wife. 
But I think he knew the love of God, the steadfast love of God that wouldn't abandon him in the pit, wouldn't abandon him in the jail. And he extended that love by blessing, by praying, by going the extra mile. And he came down to this scripture that we're going to read, which is our Old Testament scripture. And here's his response from Genesis 45, verse 4. This is his response to his brothers who had thrown him into the pit, who had sold him into slavery. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Think about that. Who's he thinking about? Himself or them? And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land yet these two years, and yet there are five more years of neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve you and the remnant on earth and to keep alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. God works his purposes through his love in this world through you and me. This is agape love. This is the love that sent Christ to the cross. This is the love that redeemed us. This is the love we can share with others. Not just our family, not just our friends, not just our lovers, but even our enemies. As we seek to bless them, pray for them, go the extra mile, extend the golden rule. Let us pray. Father God, hear our prayers this morning. We're going to take a moment of silence to think about perhaps if a name has come to our mind this morning, someone that we would consider an enemy or someone who's abused us or hurt us or cursed us. Lord, to just do an evaluation of how we can appropriate your love in our response to them. If, if no one is there, that, Lord, that we could dedicate ourselves to this kind of response when these things happen to us. So, Lord, I just pray in the silent of this moment, Speak to each one of us in your way. Lord, as we hear the howling wind outside, we are reminded of the power of Pentecost. That your Holy Spirit is able to shape our hearts, change our hearts and minds toward others. To be able to, in obedience, extend your love to others. Even when we're hurt and suffering. Lord, we pray for that grace in our life. We pray that we might be able to show others that amazing grace. Lord, now as we pray for the needs of this church, we think of those who have physical needs. Kathy Hill, Nancy Nyquist, John Dingle, others who are in need of your healing hand. Lord, we pray for Pastor Nate, for Laura and Daisy as they are away. And strengthen them, encourage them, bring them back to us. 
Help us to be prepared to hear what he has for us. Lord, for the missions of this church and for the work and ministry in our neighborhoods, whether it was last night's game night or our upcoming meals together or this challenge that we have before us for Lent, Lord, help us to continue to reach people, pray for people who need your love. And Lord, we would all pray together the prayer your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father... Amen. It's now our opportunity to respond to the hearing of God's word uh, by presenting our gifts. And uh, as I invite the choir to come, I want to remind you there are many ways that we give in response to God's love to us, whether it's bringing a salad or fruit to share next week at the church meal, or, or if it's volunteering your time to serve at the Tiger Breakfast on Wednesday, or even your tithes and offerings this morning, we give out of the generous uh, gifts that God has given to us. So uh, please um, also remember uh, to put your Connect cards in the offering plate as those come down the aisle. Let us give our gifts to God. 